You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I am your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. And here we are, folks. This is the inaugural flight of the Bruce Exclusive. Pretty much delivering you the same content you've been getting over the last three weeks, only now with a brand new set of intro and outro music. So much more exciting, obviously. For those of you who did not listen to the Friday episode of the Nick and Nolan show and are not familiar with what is going on right now, then I will quick get you up to speed. You will continue to get me on Thursdays and Fridays. You will get Nick in addition on Saturdays with his own podcast chat with Nick bat on the Buffalo rumblings podcast network. And then we will have glorious crossover moments that will occur sporadically in the off season and more frequently during the season where we will still have the Nick and Nolan show that you have come to know and love. The only difference now is that those will be more of an event than they were previously where we were every Thursday and every Friday. I'm really excited about the changes. I know Nick is too, and make sure to keep an eye out for his podcast dropping on the Buffalo rumblings podcast network, but here you are with me right now. So It wasn't too long after we decided to do this that I was all hyped up and I totally had a podcast series ready to go where I was going to rank the position groups, go through an episode and do quarterbacks and an episode and do running backs and an episode do wide receivers. I was going to do that with the AFC East to see how we stacked up in a division that people are expecting the Bills to compete to win this year. And I was all excited. I had it all planned out. And then I go over to Locked On Bills one day and I see the title and I say, oh no, because Joe Marino's already doing that. So I'm completely okay duplicating things like that. I just don't like duplicating it at the same time. So I pivoted, I called an audible, and we're going to do that, but we're going to do it with coaches right now. So today, We're going to go through and profile and rank the head coaches in the AFC East. Tomorrow, we will do the offensive coordinators. Then we will do the defensive coordinators next week and the special teams coordinators next week. And then I've got a whole new thing planned. But the next four episodes are going to be comparing our opponents, 
coaching staffs to ours based on the four main pieces of the coaching staff. Obviously, I could go into offensive line, defensive back coaches, but I'm not going to go that far. I'm just going to go head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, special teams coordinator. Some people might argue going as deep as special teams coordinator is probably too much, but it's never too much for you, my beloved listeners. No depth is too deep for you guys. Now, before I get started on that, I want to share with you an idea that I had about making sure I could get some listener engagement. And so what we're going to do is every Friday on this pod, we are going to crown the almighty take of the week. And so what I'm going to do is I'm not going to do it this Friday because you need a chance to listen to this and then to find me on Twitter at Bruce exclusive. You got to find me on Twitter, follow me on Twitter, and then tweet at me with hashtag almighty take. And you're going to give me your best take, not your hottest take. And I'm going to read them next Friday and I'm going to pick the almighty take of the week. And this week's subject is going to be special teams because we are talking about special teams next Friday for the special teams coordinator podcast. So what I need you to do is between the time when you're listening to this now and next Tuesday, which is the days I typically record. So next Tuesday, which is the 16th of June, you've got to get with me. You've got to send me a tweet, go to Twitter, make an account. If you don't already have one, follow me on Twitter at Bruce exclusive, send me a tweet, hashtag almighty take and give me your best special teams take. It doesn't have to be a Bill's special teams take. It's a take about special teams. It could be something you could believe. It could be something you think is going to happen. It could be something about Andre Roberts not making the team. It just has to be loosely special teams related. And then I will pick my favorite and crown it the almighty take of the week. My criteria for determining what I believe to be the almighty take of the week is going to be that I'm going to say, okay, not the hottest take, the take that hits the bullseye the most. Something that is intelligent, profound, accurate, the best take, not the hottest take, the best take. So make sure you do that. So I actually have something to read next Friday when we're going through those things. Help me out. Find me on Twitter at Bruce exclusive. Send me hashtag almighty take. We're just going to see if we like this. If we don't like it, people don't respond to it. We'll try something different. But for right now, we're going to try it. We're going to see how it works. Sounds good. Sounds great. Now let's get into it because this is why y'all came. Y'all showed up for some for some Bruceisms and some rankings, because you know how much I love to rank things. So we're going to go through the AFC East head coaches, and we're going to rank them. A couple things to note before we actually get into the rankings is that, first off, win-loss record is not the only consideration here. It is part of it because I do think that coaches have a very serious effect on win-loss records, specifically head coaches. But win-loss record is not the only thing that goes into a head coach. Now, you might know already or have an idea of where some of these coaches will fall because you may have listened to me tiering every head coach in the league and you think, well, this guy's ahead of this guy in a tier. Surely they're ranked ahead. But if you will remember, there were two coaches in the AFC East who were in the same tier. And this is going to force me to determine which one I like better between them. You might guess who's number one. You might guess who's number four. 
but we're going to go into the why because it's not about the ranking. It's about why. It's about the methodology. It's about how it is you are forced to distinguish between coaches who otherwise might be indistinguishable. Coaches who might have similar win-loss records. Coaches who might do things similarly. Coaches who might have the same amount of rings. Coaches, obviously that's not the case all the time in the AFC East. But rankings, the reason I love rankings is it forces you as a ranker to mentally process how it is you prioritize things. You can't just arbitrarily throw it at a wall and see what's, I mean, you could if you're just into clickbait, but it forces you to determine how it is you categorize what a coach brings to the table and how well they do that relative to the other people on this list. So we're going to start at the bottom because that's where we started and now I'm right here. We're starting at the bottom with number four, and we're going with Adam Gase. You might be shocked to learn that Adam Gase is number four on my list. The biggest thing for me with Adam Gase is that I do not believe that he properly utilizes offensive weapons. For a supposed quarterback whisperer, he has been riding on 2013 with the Broncos and Peyton Manning his entire career. He's 30 and 34. As a coach, and I do believe he is a net negative to the team that he is on. If you would like further evidence of that, check out Ryan Tannehill's career resurgence that he had with Tennessee once he got loose of Adam Gase. In 2015 with the Bears, they were 18th in total offense. Everyone was really excited about having Adam Gase work with Jay Cutler, and Jay Cutler did have a decent season under Adam Gase. That's relative to the previous seasons where we previously thought Jay Cutler was gone and he was done and there was no point. So what we were comparing it to wasn't overly strong. And Adam Gase really has been kind of riding the coattails of that 2013 with the Broncos and Peyton Manning, where you have to understand that was an unbelievably talented team with one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. And so I believe that Adam Gase's system fit that, but I don't think throwing the ball to your slot receiver in New York, Jamison Crowder, 47 times a game is really the appropriate way to run an offense in New York. Adam Gase had Isaiah McKenzie. I will never stop harping on this ever. He had Isaiah McKenzie, Bill's third slash fourth receiver playing cornerback against the Jets in week 17 and didn't target him once. I make the all the jokes. We have Isaiah McKenzie Island. McKenzie Island is a new thing now. Zero catches allowed. Wonder what his PFF grade was. But Adam Gase has a system that he believes in that happened to fit 2013 Broncos and hasn't fit anyone well since. Ryan Tannehill didn't look good in it. Sam Darnold didn't look great in it. Any success that Sam Darnold has, you could make an argument they are having it as a team and individually in spite of Adam Gase, not because of him. When the Jets hired Adam Gase, I think Sam Darnold's probability of becoming a franchise quarterback went down. So you could make an argument based on what I'm discussing that maybe He's the worst coach in the league. I don't know if he's the worst coach in the league, but I do know that he's in the bottom tier for me as far as coaches go. I believe he's a net negative to your franchise. Coach number three, Brian Flores. Brian Flores is a good coach, folks. 
people really, really, really were not happy with me when I put him in tier two. But the ability to keep that locker room together and focused when everybody outside was, there were, there were clips on ESPN about how it was coaching malpractice and how they were putting players in danger. The hyperbole was cranked up to 11 with the tank narrative with Brian Flores and how it was malpractice to tank as badly as they were tanking. And they won five games and still got their guy in Tua. Part of that's Ryan Fitzpatrick being an overly competent quarterback. I mentioned when they signed Ryan Fitzpatrick, the Miami Dolphins, that Ryan Fitzpatrick was too good to go to a team who was tanking. And the ability of Brian Flores to keep that locker room together despite the tank narrative is impressive. I'm happy with what he did on the defensive side of the ball as far as making it work with very, very poor talent. The Miami Dolphins secondary is going to be something to be feared with three excellent cornerbacks, including one of my favorites in the draft, Noah Igbenogany, who you heard me talk about from Auburn. I think the Miami Dolphins are closer to competing than people think. I do think that Tua is a tremendous fit in Chan Gailey's offense. We're going to talk about Chan Gailey tomorrow a little bit, but you know what Ryan Fitzpatrick did with Chan Gailey in Buffalo, and you know what he did with Chan Gailey in New York. And so Flores' decision to bring him in to have him with Fitz this year and also with Tua, who I think is a fantastic fit in that particular offense, is another good move by Brian Flores. Getting five wins out of that roster with the talent level and with everything that was going on in the national media and trading away players like Laramie Tunsil and Minka Fitzpatrick for first-round picks and having everybody in that locker room inclined to believe that this organization was not attempting to win and still pulling off five games, beating the Patriots, being competitive... People forget about that Week 17 game that Patriots absolutely had to win that game. They needed to win. It was a must win. And the Miami Dolphins had nothing to play for. Them winning that game hurt their draft position. But yet they still came and they still competed and they won. If that doesn't tell you what you need to know about Brian Flores and his ability to be a leader of men, then I don't know what else to tell you. We talk about those traits as if they matter when we talk about Sean McDermott. But then when we see a different coach, they somehow don't matter. Now it's all, well, he's 5'11". Well, hold on now. There was an argument with Sean McDermott about whether or not the 9-7 year 1 or the 6-10 year 2 was actually a better coaching job. That was an actual narrative around the Bills' content creation and media last offseason because of how impressive it was to get what is a historically bad offense to help us get to six and 10. So we're okay with that when it's our guy, but when it's somebody else's guys, oh, well, he's five and 11. You have to understand the context of that five and 11 and that five and 11 is impressive. I think Brian Flores is a good coach. I do. I think there's three good coaches in this division, but we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about the last two people in this division. Stick with me. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I am your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. We have gone through two of the four head coaches in the AFC East, ranking them. We started at the bottom 
with Adam Gase. We moved up to Brian Flores. I do think there's a fairly significant gap between those two names. Then we took a commercial break, and now we're coming back. And the number two coach in this division is Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott was 9-7 and in 17, 6-10 and in 18, and 10-6 and in 19. He turned around a franchise that had been significantly moribund and in the middle of a well-publicized playoff drought. He turned over the defense. Now, I want to talk about this a little bit because the defense turned over when Sean McDermott got here, and he's managed to carry over defense year over year. And I want to talk to you about how difficult that is. One of the comparisons that's going around this offseason, specifically with the analytics people, is that the 2019 Bills were the 2017 Jags and the 2018 Bears. They had a quarterback nobody believes in. In this case, Blake Bortles, Mitch Trubisky. They were carried by their defense and there's going to be regression. Ladies and gentlemen, you need to understand something about defensive regression. It is a real thing, but you have to dive in deeper and find out why that is. If you have not done already, please go back and listen to the episode of Locked on Bills with Joe Marino and myself from earlier this offseason, where we talk about predicting whether or not the Bills defense will see a regression based on the two comparisons I just made, the 2017 Jags and the 2018 Bears. And I said, the chances are unlikely that that happens to the degree that it happened with them because it wasn't so much they had good defenses. It was the reason why they had good defenses. They had good defenses because they got fluky amounts of sacks, which is not necessarily translatable. You know, pressures is a much more consistent stat to track than sacks. And they got tons of turnovers, which are a little bit fluky. And they got defensive touchdowns, which are fluky. These are things that are subject to high variance. The Bills have managed to carry over defense year over year. Sean McDermott is a big part of that. Carrying over defense year over year is very difficult to do in the National Football League because there's so many different moving parts. One of the reasons why finding a franchise quarterback leads to more consistent winning is because you have a larger chunk of what causes an offense to be good stabilized. And by that, you have a larger chunk of what causes a team to be good stabilized. And that's important. If you have a good middle linebacker and a good quarterback, one of those things has more impact on winning and losing than the other. That's just the way it is. And so with defense, there's all these inner moving parts and it's subject to high variance. But if you have a good quarterback, you're like, okay, whatever percentage you think the quarterback has over winning and losing, whether you think that's 30 or 40%, that part is now locked in. Versus other positions on the field, specifically we're talking about defensive positions, that might have a lesser impact on total wins and losses. And now it's variable all over the place. But Sean McDermott has carried over defense year over year. People were expecting this regression last year. And the defense make an argument was better last year than it was in 2018. So having that happen is impressive. In addition, I understand we talk about trust the process and all this stuff, nonsense. You know, people poo-poo that all the time. But I just mentioned that it matters for Brian Flores. And it matters for Sean McDermott too. It's not about the wins and losses just by itself. It's not about the defensive stuff but just by itself. And it's not about culture but just by itself. But these things all matter. They do matter. And... 
I think that one of the things that you are noticing in this country right now is that having head coaches who are leaders of men matters. Having head coaches who know how to respond to their players matters. And it matters more as the players get more power. In the NBA, head coaches are almost subsidiaries to their players because of how much power the players have. And having a coach who can relate to players and be a leader of men becomes more and more important as the power that they wield lessens relative to the players. As the players get more and more power, it is more important than ever that the head coach be a leader of men. And that might seem weird to you when you say that. When you say it out loud, you're like, that doesn't sound right at all. But chew on this for a second. You have to be less of a leader when you're more of an authority figure. Just let that kind of mull around in your ears for a minute. The more authority you have, the less leadership is necessary because they're not the same things. Authority is about control. It's about being able to control things. Keep it under your thumb. Make sure that you have a compliant understructure. Leadership is about people voluntarily deciding to follow you. There is a difference between leading and being an authority. And the less of one you have, the more of the other you need. And as coaches get less and less power and players have social media and they get their message out there and they can talk directly to the media and they have a chance to really mess things up the way that they didn't necessarily have 30, 40, 50 years ago, it is more important your coaches become leaders of men. Now, that is not the only thing that matters. We still need to have good game day coaches. X's and O's still matter. But I bring this up because it's the thing that Sean McDermott's good at. When he says, I want a leadership council and they will help me keep my pulse on the locker room because that matters to me. When he says, I want to listen to the players and he says, you have to lead out of a relationship. These are things people believe in that locker room. When you treat them like men and you lead them and they voluntarily decide to follow you, that is different from them being forced to follow you because otherwise they'll get their hands smacked. So, That was a little rant on Sean McDermott. I apologize for that, but we are moving on. Number one, Bill Belichick. This shouldn't be surprising for anybody, but it will be for some. I saw a comment on my Head Coaching Tears article that accompanied my Head Coaching Tears podcast. And someone said, quote, the jury is still out on Belichick. Let me just mull that around. The jury is still out on Belichick is what I got. I very respectfully as much as I can, disagree with that. Now, I understand what that person meant. They meant, let's see how he does without Brady. Well, let's talk about that a little bit. In 2008, the Patriots had Matt Castle, and they went 11-5. and five. Okay, um, that's pretty good. In 2016, they went without Brady for four games with Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett, who people are still trying to figure out if they're decent. Jacoby Brissett just got benched. And Jimmy Garoppolo, they're wondering if he's a product of the Shanahan system. They went three and one. He found a way to win without Brady. Now, you can go back to Cleveland if you will like. You can go back to the way he was back then. But that was a bajillion years ago. And coaches evolve. He has six rings as a head coach, two as a defensive coordinator, 
He has an expansive coaching tree because people are trying to get some of what he has. Now, let me just tell you, if people knew it was Brady, why do they keep trying to poach Belichick's assistants? If the general theory around the league is that Brady is the only reason that team is good, then why do people keep trying to poach Bill Belichick's assistants? Because obviously they don't matter. It's all Brady. In addition, you can make an argument Bill Belichick is one of the greatest defensive game planners of all time. You have consistently heard it said from coaches and players who faced Belichick that he takes away the things you do well and forces you to do left-handed work. He's managed to do that for 20 years. He has a 684 winning percentage in the regular season and a 722 winning percentage as a coach in the postseason. Bill Belichick is a huge part of that dynasty, regardless of how you feel about him or Brady. This idea that it's just Brady or it's just Belichick is absurd. It was clearly both of them. Why does it have to be one or the other? When Brady won a Super Bowl, he wasn't the reason that he won it the first time. Eventually he was. Eventually that team was winning because of Brady. But the first Super Bowl, Brady was a glorified game manager and that was a defensive focused team that managed to shut down the greatest show on turf. But no one remembers that now because it was so long ago. They remember everything from Randy Moss forward. They remember Brady as a dominant 4,000-yard passer who showed up in big moments. But nobody remembers that Brady was asked not to screw it up at the beginning while Belichick worked his magic and he just didn't make any mistakes. That was the narrative on Tom Brady early on. The narrative coming out of the 2001 season Super Bowl was not that Tom Brady had willed that team to a Super Bowl. It was the defense had shut down the greatest show on turf and that defense wins championships. That was the narrative that was coming out of that Super Bowl. But people don't remember that. Bill Belichick won a Super Bowl with a smidge amount of help from Tom Brady. And then Tom Brady ended up becoming Tom Brady that we all know and love. But I'm not here for any discussions about Belichick not being a good coach. I just can't. You don't get six rings just because of the quarterback. If you did, then how come Aaron Rodgers doesn't have six rings? Tom Brady himself has gone on record as saying Aaron Rodgers is the most talented quarterback he's ever seen. But you know what the difference is between Brady and Rodgers? Rodgers had McCarthy and Brady had Belichick. That's the difference. Because it's not just about quarterback talent. If it was, Aaron Rodgers would have more than one ring. But that's not the case because Belichick matters. So no, the jury is not out on Bill Belichick. He's the best coach in the AFC East until he proves otherwise. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining me for this edition, the inaugural edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. Make sure to find me on Twitter. Send me a tweet. Hashtag almighty take. Give me a special teams take. I'll read them next Friday. It'll be great. I'm excited about this. You know, stick around. Tune in. We're going to do some fun things this offseason. It is going to be awesome. And that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.
The Current Podcast is back with an exciting new season featuring marketing executives from the world's most influential brands. Tune in to hear what's driving conversation in the fast-moving world of digital advertising with unique insights from brands as diverse as Hilton, Instacart, Moderna, Major League Soccer, and more. And in this presidential election season, The Current explores what a national political advertiser like the National Republican Senatorial Committee and a major CPG brand like Hershey can learn from each other. Listen in and subscribe to The Current at thecurrent.com or wherever you get your podcasts. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this. High-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.